right. Man, it's so good to be back. I, uh, first off, I want to thank you, church, for allowing me to have the time to work on some schoolwork. And um, in one-on-one conversations, I'll be glad to tell you more about that and the progress I made. Uh, still a little work to do. Um, hoping to turn everything in by the end of March. And uh, so continue in your prayers for me in regard to that. Uh, I would really appreciate that. Um, and during my time, I also was able to, you saw me here one week, some of you did, uh, came and just was able to enjoy the service as a, a normal person. And so thank you for not uh, unloading your pastoral needs on me when I walked in the door. Um, but aside from being here one week, I was able to visit my friends' churches and worship with them and uh, be relatively unnoticed and unknown. And uh, so that was a, it was a pleasure, not only to hear my friends uh, preaching, but also just to fellowship with saints um, and enjoy some, uh, some normalcy in a, in a different kind of way. I was blessed and encouraged in a lot of different ways by my attendance at these uh, other churches. And I was at the same time increasingly uh, desirous of you all. And I told Aaron after the first week, really after the second week, I said, you know, the first week was nice. It was just nice to not be at Cedarview for a change. Uh, But the second week, I immediately wanted to be back. So, and it only got worse uh, each week after that. But again, thank you. Thank you for the time. Thank you for being willing to accommodate that uh, in my season of of finishing up school. Now, today, we're actually going to finish our series in the Psalms. We're going to Psalm 101, Psalm 101. And today is going to conclude it because I felt the need that we should um, turn our attention in the coming weeks to some basics about who we are as a church, about uh, discipleship, about uh, our uh, committing to one another to walk together in unity, uh, people believing the gospel, all these one another's that we see in the scriptures. There are so many things that we could pack into a series about who we are as a church, but I want to hit on some of uh, the basics, some of the essentials. And so starting next week, Next Sunday morning, we're going to go six weeks leading up to Easter, and we're going to go six weeks and talk about some of those basics. We're going to title that series uh, Reset, Reset, and I think it's appropriate because the season that we've been in in our society, the season we've been in as as a church, it's been so disjointed, and today is going to reflect some of that. It's been so disjointed that I could imagine you're like me, and you would like to come back to some of the the main things that we just need to work out in our Christian life. The main things that we need to work out as a church with one another. I mean, it it grieves me, sincerely, it grieves me that for the reasons we've had for the past year, a lot of people have not been able to meet face-to-face. I can't imagine, can't imagine. I would refuse to accept not being able to be face-to-face with you all on a regular basis. Even the, the Facebook 
productions we did back in the spring. It hurt me to my core. And I hope it did you too. So if you're watching today, I want you to know we want to be with you. And as the Lord allows, as you're willing, meet with us. Meet with us. So I think it's just appropriate that we hit reset these next six weeks. But today I want to talk about resolve as we go to Psalm 101. It actually is going to help us transition into the next series. And I want to begin by just uh, mentioning the excuses that we've made over the past uh, year or so. You know, this past year has not been conducive to healthy, thriving spiritual life, right? Just think about the excuses that you have made for your own uh, spiritual immaturity or your spiritual stagnation, your disobedience to God. Think of all the excuses you've made. And, you know, oftentimes we talk about things like that and, and, and we respond or we, we um, sort of justify ourselves and we, we say things like, well, you know, nobody's perfect. That usually means an excuse is coming. That's where we are. I think Psalm 101 is actually a way for us to uh, develop or regain a bit of resolve as Christians. David, Psalm 101, is. it seems that this was, was likely written in a time when he was moving into being a king. So I want to go ahead and read Psalm 101, and we'll continue. Hear the word of the Lord, Psalm 101, a psalm of David. I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord. I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utter lies shall continue before me. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Let's pray once more. Father God, bless your word as it is preached today. God, help me communicate. Send your spirit to make clear to your people what needs to be heard and to those who are not your people, that they would Learn what it is to repent and believe on Jesus for salvation. Bless us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to title it today, Resolved for Godly Influence. Resolved for Godly Influence. And here we have David uh, likely moving into his kingly role of Israel. And he is sort of 
uh, declaring the things that he will not bend on. He's resolved to do these things. These things are going to characterize his kingship. It's historically a, a psalm that has been used at the start of a new family. Um, commentators point to families that would, you know, getting married or moving out, I guess in past days that looks very different than, than now, but sort of getting your start on your own as a family, this psalm would be preached or exposited in some way, and they would talk about the resolve that is needed for a family to be able to operate in a faithful way toward God. So they sort of draw out the boundaries. This is who we are. This is how we're going to operate. And that's what David's doing right here. He is, he is dead set on making his kingdom reflect these truths which are ultimately reflective of the character of God. I want to ask you, as we look into this psalm I want to ask you about your own area of influence. You're not a king. You're not moving into a kingly role, to my knowledge. But I guarantee you, God has given you some measure of authority. Some of you are bosses. Some of you have people that are under you that you're responsible for. Mom, you, you have a great job in raising children. God has given you those little ones. I don't want to miss dad, but mom is right there in their faces all the time. And I want to, I want to validate your struggle today. We see it and we're thankful for it. Look, I've been home a lot the last six weeks. And I have seen more clearly than ever all the things that my wife has to deal with at home. And it makes me thankful to God for her. But you see, we've all got some area of responsibility. God has given me responsibility to shepherd the flock of God. So I want to be resolved in reflecting the character of God in the way we operate as a church. Dad, at home, you want to you build your family life around these principles, around the truth of God's character. Boss, business owner, politician, whoever. You have responsibility. So I hope that with the Spirit's help, you'll be able to apply some of these things this morning. Look, I haven't preached in six weeks. So I'm going to do my best not to just say everything that has come through my mind the past week as I've been preparing. My point is you have a sphere of influence. You have a circle of influence. And these words in Psalm 101 ought to help you with the resolve you need to honor God in that sphere of influence. So I want to give you a theme this morning. God's ways strengthen his people in uncompromising resolve to be like him. God's ways strengthen his people in uncompromising resolve to be like him. Plummer one of my go-to commentators in the Psalms, he said on this, whoever would do right must resolve to do right. In the scripture, we learned about counting the costs. A king who goes to war counts the costs of the war. A man who builds a house counts the costs of building the house. But we live in a culture where counting the costs of the Christian life is not really thought of often. 
We live in a culture where it's easy to believe in Jesus. Oh, yeah, Christianity, sure. I was reading about countries the other day. I put together a puzzle when I should have been doing schoolwork. Put together a puzzle, 1,000 pieces, 300. <laughs> it, was, it was a 1,000 in my mind. Took me, uh, they got it started. Took me, uh, that, was a, that was a good moment, good moment of uh, transparency right there. Uh, 300, for those of you online, 300 pieces. I spent about an hour and 20 minutes on it, and it was national flags. So I got motivated to go look up some of these countries and uh, looked up one of my favorites, Mauritania. Uh, looked up a few others, the uh, uh, Czech Republic, uh, Slovakia, those kinds of countries. And I began to read like the uh, religious percentages. And, you know, they usually have it lined out. So many are Christian. A lot of these countries, 85, 90% of the people claim to be Christians. I'm not even sure what it would look like if we had that kind of poll in the United States. But I say all this to say that we treat our faith as if it is a questionnaire, and I just have to sort of ascribe my name to one. We don't think about the costs. Our young ones, we don't teach them the cost of following Jesus. So when it comes to professing faith and being baptized, then, yeah, it's just what I'm supposed to do. See, David had counted the costs when he stepped into his kingly role. He knew what was expected of him because he knew God. I want to give you two commitments this morning. Two commitments. I'm asking, really asking you to make. And I'm not asking lightly. As we think about the next six weeks, we're going to turn this kind of resolve toward the life of the church. Two commitments. First off, from verses 1 through 4, be resolved to guard yourself carefully. Be resolved to guard yourself carefully. You can see in these first four verses, a lot of this has to do with his own character. And as I was reading this, I was immediately drawn to the New Testament passages that uh, paint the picture of taking off something and putting on something, namely Christ. Colossians 3, take off the old man, put on the new man, which is Christ. Ephesians 6 The armor of God, you may have not realized it, but the armor of God is Christ. When you put on the armor, you're putting on Christ. It's the soldier that Isaiah prophesied. And so Colossians 3, Ephesians 6, and then even Philippians 3, the way Paul talks about leaving what is behind and pressing forward toward the goal, the prize, the upward calling that is in Christ Jesus. So with these things in mind, I want to uh, give you some, some sub-points here under this resolve that reflect that. First off, we see in verse 1, put on praise. Put on praise. You might think after reading that, I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. You may think there, he's talking about the justice and mercy of God, the, the righteous judgment of God. And he certainly is. 
but he's speaking of that in terms of how it has influenced him. Like, I want to lead with mercy. I want to lead with justice because this is who God is. It is derived from his knowledge of God. And if I'm not mistaken, last week you heard uh, from Psalm 115 that, that concept of you become like what you behold, right? You don't want to put the, the idols in, in front of you because you become like them. They can't talk. They can't do anything. They can't answer your prayers, and it renders you helpless, condemned. So you become like what you behold. We're observing in our home right now with the little one, a two-year-old, and she is doing a lot of imitation. She doesn't know what she's doing, but if, if her uh, brother and her sisters are doing it, then you know what? She's going to do it. It's funny to watch it because it is, it is purely that, that concept of becoming like what you behold. So my sisters are not here today, so I'm just going to say, um, I'm just going to say, if there's something you don't like that I don't do, just know that I probably saw my sisters doing it. <laughs> they probably did it before I did, so blame them. But here, here, here's the concept. You become like what you behold. Here's the point. Worship transforms you. So when you worship God as being merciful and just, then you embrace and you work toward mercy and justice in your life. If you're a boss who worships the Lord, then you reflect that character in the way that you lead, in the way that you run your business. If you worship God as just and in the home, you are going to carry out justice discipline so that your family will know the righteousness of God. So I say put on praise because David here is clearly singing to the Lord in a way that affects him. Worship is a declaration both of who God is and what we are determined to be. It's no coincidence that Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing. Jesus' life is a, a, a pattern after the Father. It's a, a pattern of worship after his God and Father, and that's for all of us to see. So put on praise. Secondly, put on purity. Verse 2, I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. Put on purity. These words, blameless, integrity, simply communicates the idea of purity. There's, there's no glaring inconsistencies. There's no hypocrisy. And he says, in my house. So you get it. There's, there's, a, there's a matter of privacy to this. But I would tell you that nothing in your life is totally private. Those closest to you, they know who you really are, don't they? Clark says here, it is easier for most men, and we can say, obviously, women, believers, it's easier for most men to walk with a perfect heart in the church or even in the world than in their own families. David here 
resolved to be above reproach, but as he confesses in this verse, he knows he can't do it alone. Right there, and it almost seems awkward, doesn't it? Verse 2, ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. This, this random question right here in the middle, commentators say they agree here, uh, and one says, I can neither walk in this way nor grow wise unto salvation unless thou come unto me by thy grace and spirit, for without thee I can do nothing. So David here has got a confession going, a confession of desperate dependence on God's grace. And yet, look at your own life. Even recently, even even in the past days, look at your own life. Are you that one that, yeah, you can make the resolve, but then it's like, just as Paul rebukes the people in Galatia, it's like, you know you got started by the Spirit, but then it's like, okay, I'm going to go it alone. I'm going to accomplish this spiritual life with pure willpower. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to lead properly because I got what it takes. No. No, David right here is confessing his need of God. So I would ask you, if you are not succeeding in whatever area you may be thinking about, family life, work life, church life, if you are not succeeding the way that you believe God wants you to succeed, I would tell you, be filled with the Spirit. Well, Matt, that's too simplistic. That's exactly what Paul says to the Galatians. You began by the Spirit. Are you going to be perfected by the flesh? No. Be filled with the Spirit. That's a command. Be filled with the Spirit. Once again, we see Jesus who only does what he sees his father doing. He was the one who fully relied on the Spirit's help. The same Spirit that that he poured out upon the church, the same Spirit that indwells every true believer. And if you put these two points together, you see the Trinity at work, don't you? It's, It's a Trinitarian task for you to live in a way that honors God. Put on praise. Put on purity. And then he turns to the negative here in verses 3 and 4. He says, verse 3, put off. All right, so we put on, we put on. Now we're putting off or taking off. Put off worthlessness. Put off worthlessness. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away not cling to me. So in essence, we're talking about uh, David is, is not going to withstand any sinful thing. A plumber writes here, we cannot love and practice that which is holy without loathing that which is sinful. If you think you're going to grow in Christ while at the same time cultivating your vices, you're wrong. But I would also tell you, because we may hear that and we're like, well, I don't have any like 
you know, major sins that are dominating me right now or anything like that. But I'll also tell you, there's a lot of worthlessness in our lives, especially in our affluent culture. A lot of worthlessness, a lot of extras, a lot of unnecessary baggage that is simply holding us back. It's that Hebrews weight and sin, right? Not everything is a sin, but there are a lot of weights that you need to drop. So I would tell you, not all things start off as worthless or sinful, but they may become that way. And here's where you need a power of discernment from the Spirit regarding the distractions in your life, regarding the hobbies in your life, regarding the extra things that are really just unnecessary. I mean, I think about, I think about automobiles nowadays. Number one, how ridiculously expensive they have gotten. But I think about how there are so many features nowadays, features, extras. And we get the idea in our lives that, well, yeah, I definitely need the seat that vibrates on the left side when I cross the line. Like, I definitely need that, right? No, but we view our lives like we, we attach all these things to it and they become worthless. They become weights to us. You know, Paul said, 1 Corinthians 6, 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. And here's where we are excited to sing about the freedom we have in Christ, free from the law, oh, happy condition. Wonderful truth, yet... We do not want to turn our freedom into an opportunity for sin. We don't want to turn our freedom into an opportunity for slavery. And he adds, verse 3, says, I hate the work of those who fall away. This indicates that he has seen it before. I'm sure you have too. Not only in just the outright sins, but also in the things that people begin to dabble in. They dabble in this thing, whether it's a philosophy or a hobby or just a, maybe a slightly different way of life than they were typically used to living. And then before long, they have slipped down the slippery slope. Whether it's abandoning the faith intellectually or practically. You look at their lives and there's no evidence there that they believe in Jesus. He declares of people like this, those works, they won't cling to me. Get that, that image of the Hebrews' weight again. He's just saying simply, the compromises of other people will not take me off courts. If this person falls away, if that person falls away, I will remain steadfast. Uh, my wife and I just had a conversation this week about the people that we have esteemed in the past, in the faith, that have ended up falling severely. And it is, it is a sobering thought to think about the way that it seemed like God had used them in such a huge and maybe even miraculous way and then all this to find out 
what was really going on behind the scenes, under the surface. My hope is not going to be in any human being to measure up to what is God's standard of perfection. You need to realize that we are all one decision away from slipping down that slope ourselves. But I would say in regard to this, I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. David, you can imagine all the people that want David's ear as king. People are clamoring to get their word in and get their agenda accomplished. And so David especially had to be very careful about who he listened to. But I would tell you, somebody has your ear. Whether you realize it or not, somebody has your ear. Somebody is telling you about your life and about what is right or wrong or what is God honoring or not. What is the way forward? What is the way to uh, deal with others? Somebody has your ear. And I would just ask you, who is it? Are those the kind of people that you want shaping your life, shaping your business, shaping your family, shaping the church. Plummer says, let every man beware how he chooses his associates. So put off worthlessness. And then verse four, put off wickedness. I'm going to speed up. Verse four, a perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Perverse here simply implies deceitfulness or unscrupulous behavior. This again refers to those who would influence David. It says right here, uh, he would not know evil. I will know nothing of evil. To know here is to befriend, to treat as a friend. So David will befriend no one driven by dishonest gain, by selfishness, by questionable morals, he will not let those things influence him. He is, he is confessing that putting off wickedness is going to characterize his kingship. So we put on a couple of things, put on praise, put on purity. We put off a couple of things, put off worthlessness, put off wickedness. And I want to pause right here before we go to the second point, which is much quicker. We oftentimes get here and we get bogged down here because if you just walk through those first four verses, I can tell you multiple ways how I have failed in these things recently. I remember as a young man, uh, maybe high school age, I remember as a young man, uh, I was a believer and I was struggling in the faith and dabbling in the things of the world. And I remember thinking like, the spiritual life, the Christian life is so frustrating. Like I try so hard to do this and do that and uh, develop disciplines and uh, become mature and those kind of things. And I was at that place where it's like, it's so hard. Really, it's impossible. So impossible. Why even try? And then the spirit quickened me and said, do you realize? 
this. Do you realize how selfish you're being? We get bogged down here. You get through one through four here, and you can go self-loathe all you want. I'm a failure. I don't have integrity. I put worthless things before myself. I, I got too many things that weigh me down, including sins. You can get stuck right there. You can get stuck right there because you think this is all about you. But you see, David had responsibility. And you have responsibility. You have people to care for. You have people to teach. You have souls to shape. You have responsibility. So confess your sins, okay? And move forward in what God has given you to do. Dixon says here, before we move ahead... He says, he that purposeth to carry a public charge well must discharge the duty of a private man well. So think of the people in your life. I know that that you desire godly influence for their sake. Think of your church family. Some of you, the people who are sitting in this room. Think of these people, and I hope, as you think of them, that it is your aim to grow that person in the faith. But as you think of these people, I would tell you your ability to disciple, your ability to deal with others wisely, your ability to see God's work happening around you, these things will continue to suffer until you order your life around godliness until you order your life around Christ. There's so much practice that we could talk about at that point. But we need to move on. Many think that this is their ultimate goal. They come to church because it's about self-betterment. If I can get one through four, then I'm good, right? If I can get... To maturity in the faith, then the church has done its job in making me who I was called to be, helping me reach my potential. But David moves forward to say, I've been given this role not just to exalt myself, but to benefit others. I'm convinced that if the typical American Christian had written this psalm, we would have stopped at verse 4. But I would ask, are you ready to act in accord with what we have just declared in these four verses? That's what David does. Here's his personal resolve. He's resolved to guard himself carefully, and I would tell you to do the same thing. But then secondly, be resolved to lead others responsibly. Be resolved to lead others responsibly. Verses 5 through 8. And think here, your influence, your sphere of influence. Just reading through these verses, especially, uh, well, all of them, but uh, especially verse 6. When I read through the first time, I was almost like, is this God responding to him? Because it sounds like the words of God. But David not only knew 
the righteousness of God, the reign of God personally, but he sought to reflect that in his own life, in his own leadership. So as he is communicating these words, they are words that he has learned from God. That's the important part. Go back to our point at the beginning. He wanted to carry out his kingdom in a way that corresponded to the character of God and builds on his personal resolve in these first four verses. So this is the second commitment. Be resolved to lead others responsibly. What he says here is no small thing. And the question is, when it comes down to it, will he be able, will he be willing to make the hard decisions without compromise? Are you willing? So you think about those people that you have responsibility for, those people that you can influence On these verses, I would tell you three things to cut off. Three things to cut off. Verse 5, arrogance. Cut off arrogance. He says, whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. People with a high view of themselves maintain it through gossip and slander. They think if they put others down that it will elevate themselves. They will widen the gap between how awesome they are and how terrible these other people are. But as I was reading, I was, I was struck by the fact that a slanderer or a gossip injures three people with one offense. He injures himself, he injures his hearers, and then he injures the one that is slandered. Do you see how destructive that is? Do you, do you see how David would not want to tolerate any of that in his kingdom? The damage multiplies more than we initially think. Well, if I say this about this person, it's just it's not that big a deal, right? You have just sinned against two other people in addition to yourself. Arrogance here. It's contrary to the way of Christ, the way of humility, the way of sacrifice. And we're getting to a clearer picture of him. So cut off arrogance, cut off deceit. Secondly, verse 7. Verse 7 says, no one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Cut off deceit. A kingdom, as David understood it here, a kingdom built by lies does not honor God and it injures its citizens. What happens when the lies catch up to you? What happens when the lies come out in your sphere of influence? If you give lies a place in your life, I guarantee you, in, in a short matter of time, you will begin to see things crumble like the house that was built on the sand but a house that's built on Christ is a house that's built on truth so cut off arrogance cut off deceit and then thirdly cut off evil verse 8 morning by morning I will destroy all the wicked in the land cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord morning by morning he says Commentator right here, uh, when one would do a full day's work, he commonly begins early. That's good practical advice, isn't it? 
you got a lot to do. Get up early and get started. I remember thinking when I was a young adult, before I had a lot of responsibility, bills and all that kind of stuff, I used to be just terrified at the thought of having to deal with insurance um, randomly. But I, I used to think about like the, how awesome it would be to have the freedom of an adult. I can, I can have my own car and have my own place and do what I want to do, and I don't have to answer to my parents. And then I got to the place where, you know, home ownership and responsibility came with it. And then I realized the reality of it, right? You know what? The grass has got to get cut. The bills have got to get paid. Something's got to be cleaned. Always. Am I right? Here's a repair. There's an expense. There's always something. And, and the best way I can describe it is actually uh, weeds. Like weeds are a good illustration of responsibility in life. If you're not on top of it, then before you know it, your whole life is going to be overrun with stuff, problems, issues. I think about those things, and I think about the way that David decided morning by morning, I'm cutting off evil. You may think, well, I just need to, I just need to you know, get rid of evil once and for all. It's going to be right there at your door tomorrow morning. This can be ready to take over tomorrow morning. You don't get a day off when it comes to following Jesus. You don't get a day off when it comes to honoring God. So I would ask, did you think that disciple making was going to be easy? Did you think that leading others would be easy? Did you think that husbanding, wifing, fathering, mothering, friending, neighboring, did you think these things would be easy? As a Christian, it takes diligent labor. Evil is always looking for a way into your sphere of influence. So as it pertains to others and your responsibility to them, I would encourage you on the words of David right here, Cut off arrogance, cut off deceit, cut off evil. Do not let those things have a home in your sphere. You know, think about the responsibility I have in the life of the church. And I'll be honest with you, it is easy to become discouraged. I look at the church and I see all the things that need to happen. Areas where we need to be stronger. Growth that needs to take place. Maturity that we need to see. I'm reminded of all the schemes of the enemy that are tailor-made to trip us up as the people of God. Think about the holiness that God calls us to, the steps that need to be taken, the actions that we need to root out every hint of evil. And it is daunting. It is overwhelming. It's the reason that uh, a lot of pastors are going to hang it up after a few years and find a new set of problems. But I'm resolved like David to press toward the goal. To see, like Paul would say so many times over, to see the church complete. Especially 
in the day of Christ's glorious coming. I want to go back to verse 6. You may have noticed I skipped it. This is the one positive statement in these four verses. Verse 6. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. See, David here commits to welcoming the faithful as members of the family. That's the language right here. Members of the family. They're going to sit at my table. They're going to look upon my face. They're going to have my countenance. Doesn't that remind you of the, the blessing that we often refer to? They'll have a place of influence is what David is saying. And it's striking to me how this sounds just like Christ's perfect reign, doesn't it? David is a type of Christ and prefigures the Redeemer and his perfect kingdom. So David is committed. Whatever it's going to take in my kingdom, I want to make it reflect the kingdom of Christ. You notice he doesn't say, well, nobody's perfect, but here's what we're going to kind of try to do. No. Resolve. There's no place for arrogance, deceit, evil in the kingdom of Christ. People characterized by those things have their place reserved in the flaming fires of hell. Christ allows nothing of that sort in his eternal kingdom. So then what does that mean for me? We looked at the first four verses and we already determined how much of a failure we are. How we've in many ways and maybe different times have slipped down the slope ourselves and had to recover by God's grace. So what does it mean for you and me, sinners? He says right there, we may say, we may attribute this to Christ. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land. So the question is not whether you're a sinner. We know that. Scripture is very clear about that. The question is a question of faith. Do you have faith in the one Redeemer? Do you have faith in the one King who did his kingly role better than David? Do you have faith in the one who was the better parent than you will ever be and in every way parented perfectly? Is your faith in the one who fulfilled the law? The law that condemns us. Is your faith in him? Our response this morning, if you, if you don't know, if you don't know if you're one of those faithful in the land, today is a day of repentance. Today is a day of believing in Jesus for your salvation. Believer, 
I would tell you in response to these things, be resolved in your pursuit of Christ and give the Spirit control. Let him run all the things that relate to your responsibility. Let him help you carry out the administration of your sphere of influence. God's ways, they strengthen us in uncompromising resolve to be like him. So as we come to this time of response, I will pray you may respond through repentance and faith. If you do respond to repentance and faith for the first time, please let us know. But also, believer, take the time to reflect upon these things. David didn't write these on a whim. It wasn't just a good speech for when he starts his kingdom. It wasn't anything like that. We don't bring them up today just so we can have a nice sermon and be done with our church stuff on Sunday. We bring them up because God intends to see his character reflected in you all. Every way that we have influence, every responsibility we have, let God see that to its fullness, to its fruition, to its potential. Let's pray and respond. Father, we love you.